1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Look out. It's Christmas. <laughs> this holiday season, 20th Century Fox invites you to open your imagination. Ah! Oh, no! I know. (laughs) As Robin Williams. I'm in the mood for smoked chicken. How about you? We have a tradition of whimsy here at Zevo Toys.
0: I don't understand why Daddy let Uncle Leland take over Zevo
1: Toys. And Academy Award-winning director Barry Levinson. I'm noodling with the idea of putting in some war toys. You never made war toys at Zevo. Take you to a place where laughter is a state of mind. Oh, it's a quick egg, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe they really are deviled eggs. Away vote Diablo. Save yourself. Get away. Are we making
0: fun of people with big ears? We're making
2: fun of people with small heads. Hmm. Either way, I think we're going to get letters from the royal family.
1: How do you feel? Woozy. That's what we'll call it, the woozy helmet. This is a little uncomfortable, though. Well, that's supposed to go in your ear. Oh. Robin Williams. Oh, oh. Sorry. Michael Gambon. You're as big a fool as your father ever was. You really think so? Thank you. Joan Cusack.
0: So this is Paris.
1: Robin Wright. I'm getting a tuna. I hope that's dark nice and safe. LL Cool J. The food keeps touching. I like military plates. I'm a military man. I want a military meal.
2: Toys. Ladies and gentlemen of Patreon. Hello. How are you? It's been so long. It's been so long. But let's not dwell on that. Because Guy and I have just watched a movie which is... Shaken me to my core. Toys, 1992, I think it was. Yep, Barry Levinson, Academy Award-winning director Barry Levinson. Uh, Robin Williams is the is the star of this vehicle, and they've worked together before. This was chosen by the person listening. Am I correct, him? Yeah. So the they, per, yeah, you threw me with that. The yeah, people yeah. listening. Yeah, Patreon voted on this. This was the number 1 choice in the most recent poll conducted of what we should watch and I uh, know we normally do the director's commentaries on this but we thought we'd change gears because the, honestly this movie has put me in such a mental tailspin that I don't I'm not sure that I could like talk while exposed to it at the same time. What what it would it, freak me out too much. What is it about the film that has done this to you? It just I can't imagine what it would have been like when this movie came out. Robin Williams, uh, like I can't even name kind of the films that were out around the same time as this, but you see him as this hugely funny, you know, slapstick comedian almost from America. Huge career, and you see the trailer, which is sort of targeted at kids. The movie is called Toys. It's a it's a holiday movie. It's for it, Christmas. It's sold as a Christmas film, and then you go in, and it's like a mixture of. Dr. Strange Glove and... Love. You said <laughs> Dr. Strange Glove. Huh? What's it called? Dr. Strange Love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Dr. Strange Love. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not Dr. Strange Glove. Although, very funny. an <laughs> idea for <laughs> a sequel. <laughs> um, but it's j The whole thing was real nightmarish. And it kind of... It just... It starts in one place and it... it the whole rest... Of, it kind of I ends in the should, same place. I know. And in a way sort of. where you don't know if they're doing, if it's if time is meant to have passed or if time is a you know, ever repeating loop. I, I don't even apologies for my ineptitude at being able to dig into this. No, but maybe okay. we should go chronologically I a little think, bit. Well, first of all, I'd like to ask you this. Do you do you think this movie is set in our world? the world that we occupy as humans? Yeah, I do. Yes. Eighty percent confident. It was funny. Midway through the film, I said, what genre would you class this film as? And you <laughs> waited for a moment, thought about it, and then said sci-fi. <laughs> well, What would you think it is? It's not sci-fi. It's, like, for- it's, it's hilarious that the movie is so fucking weird that the only thing you could put it as is sci-fi. But it's, it's no part of it is sci-fi. Okay, I, I would like you to come up with a genre which more accurately captures would, what this movie just did. I would definitely, this isn't a dig at you, this know, is a dig know, at the film. I know, But I would sooner call this a comedy than a sci-fi. But you can't call it a comedy because it's so weird and dark. You mean uh, you, you view it now as a comedy or at the time of the release it was billed as a comedy over a sci-fi? Both. I mean, it's, well, no part of it is sci-fi. What did, well, but what did you watch it as just then? Did you watch that as a comedy? Yeah. Oh, I then. set myself up for a comedy. Because I'd seen, I, I hadn't watched the trailer before the movie, though we did watch it um, just before we started recording to see what the audiences would have been sort of prepped for going in. Um, but I, you know... They heard. were not prepared for what <laughs> no one, they got, I'll No tell one you. was. No one would have walked out of that cinema going, oh yeah, that's about what I expected. So shit, how did it open? Um, it starts with a big performance a Christmas performance yeah, at the toy factory, uh, sort of the skyline of New York City rendered as it is in on the late night show, where it's like sort of you know it's all the I- iconic sort of outlines of buildings, uh, but also a full mo- scale model city, so fake streets and whatnot, and children as a tree. There's no real context for who is watching this performance. It would seem that the performance is just something that the Toy Factory puts on to an audience of no one. Kind of for themselves. Yeah, just to <laughs> show themselves that they can. Yeah, and a, there was a lot of kids involved, and it was really sweet. <laughs> it and It was, was large scale. It was almost, the start was kind of reminiscent to me of, uh, I think it's Home Alone 2, which starts with a Christmas number, and Buzz puts the electric candles behind Kevin McAllister's ears. And and he makes it look like he's got red ears. Oh, uh, it's classic. I don't remember yeah. it as vividly as that. I get red ears when I'm tired. Oh, really? And so does my little sister. Oh, isn't that cute? Little <laughs> yeah, genetic trait of the Montgomerys. Um, so I, I was kind of set up for more of a John Hughes rollicking family fun, but fuck man if you were a child and you got taken to this movie like A you'd be really bored but then you'd be real scared and there's also I think there'd just be a general sense of unease I tell you what Robin Wright is in this movie and um, I think that she is an incredibly beautiful woman now as Claire Underwood I think she's an incredibly beautiful woman in this movie too but she was unrecognisable to me like she looks so different from what she looks like today Her, her hair was long (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's what did it That's, ama- that's the game changer And she wore this large Sort of oversized Bellboy jackets When she was working On the assembly floor As a toy maker Or tester But she No she was a duplicator Which is just The photocopier It's so funny There's a whole scene About the duplication room, which is just the photocopier. There are several scenes in this movie where I feel like they were like uh, in the script they'd written, and Robin Williams will be ro- do, his, do his thing for yeah, well, two yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and he he did his role heroically, I think as well. He showed up to work, but I think you could tell, like. I mean, can you imagine the experience of making this movie? For how many trinkets and how expensive it must oh have Oh my been? god, dripping with expense. And, and A-listers, LL Cool J's in this movie prominently. Yeah, He is the um, very obviously, though not explained, not son, but he is presented as the son of an army general who's there. The general is uh, a big white Michael Gambon with a British accent. And LL Cool J, demonstrably a Black American with an American accent, and they're like, "This is my son." We will not dig into this at all. <laughs> it's part of this is part of why I ask if you think it's set in our world because there was there was no anchor apart from the fact that these people had to eat meals and they spoke English, you know, and they sort of travelled by car occasionally. There was no anchor to suggest that any of the it's sitting like a, a, a slightly bizarro parallel universe, I thought. Okay, let me ask you this. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, do you think that that story takes place in our world? Yeah, but in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you start the movie in a house which is from our world, with yeah, a family yeah. from our no, no, world. No, no, just, just, no, <laughs> this isn't a gotcha question. I'm just genuinely asking. Well, you're not going to get me, so you <laughs> might as well not even bother do to you, try. Do you think that... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is set on our version yeah, of Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's the same thing with this. It's just like a heightened factory that exists. that's but very stylized and distin- distin- our Earth. The distinction is important though, because to, you have to experience being on Earth to be yeah, able to relate to the movie. Well, in any what, what rules were broken in this film of our Earth? Well, we started in this like toy, this sort of you know this toy factory. Whereby everything almost follows the rules of physics we follow, but not quite. But my issue is that there was no outside representation. There was no. Oh right, so you never see the real world in there. We see the fields. They were weird though. Those were weird. They were like the Microsoft ninety five background. Yeah, that's so true. With one weird road that didn't. Yeah. Accommodated perfectly one car driven by driven by Robin Williams a couple of times. Anyway, okay, sorry. So, look, we start off with this kind of um, parade of Christmas and children singing songs. And by the way, this thing was scored by two people and one of them is Hans Zimmer, who is a composer that I fucking love. Mm. Uh, who's who's, you know, scored a lot of movies including Interstellar, which is a very good soundtrack. And do you walk around to that? I have. I have. Um, so we're there, and then that happens. What's like the next thing that happens? Uh, well, so then it's a, it's established that the owner of the toy factory—that's the right. sort of eccentric son of an army general. He's kind of the Willy Wonka of the yeah, yeah. He's, he's uh, very sick, and he will die. And so you he, can tell he's having heart problems because his heart is wired up to one of those those hats with the helicopter, a propeller hat. Prope- yeah, and so and the propeller pacemaker. reflects whether or not his heart is beating ordinarily, and it slows down, and he gets sick. We watch him die, in actual dies. fact. Yeah. Because you see the uh, the propeller having a bit of trouble. So what he's done is he's called his son back to the factory, which is the general. And the general's, like, conservatively 55, maybe older. He's a three-star general. And he comes in, and he's like, I kind of don't want to be in charge of a toy factory. I'm a military man. I, I don't think I should do it. And he's like, you definitely should take this factory. And then promptly dies. And then there's kind of a number two in the factory called Mr. Owens or just Owens, who's kind of just by. Yeah, he's his, sort of like Alfred and Batman. Yeah, he's very he's much like that. This old, kindly caretaker who wants the best for the factory. But they don't. Or the Batman. They don't bring him in enough at all in this movie. Like they set him up to be this um, sort of spiritual advisor, he's and then they he's don't use him. Pretty again. rudderless, really, isn't it? We're, so anyway, so kind of we we go. F- so then the very. Next scene from memory after that is the general goes to his dad, who's this again, dying Who the kids other four and four star general. who whose grandchildren think he's dead. Yeah. Robin Williams and uh Joan Cusack, who are siblings in this film, the children of the eccentric uh toy toy manufacturer originally. Hold on, they're cousins though, so how does the family tree work? So there's the guy with the propeller hat. Yeah. And the general with the British accent. Yeah. They're brothers. Oh, they're brothers. Yeah. Oh. Did you miss that? Fuck. This whole time I thought that was Robin Williams' brother. I thought it was one oh, down. No, no. That's his uncle. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> oh, this. You know what? That makes a lot more sense. How much does that change for you? <laughs> uh, not uh, Not as much as you would like. Not as much as you'd think. You've still got the same attitude towards the film. Yeah, absolutely. That wasn't that wasn't a big problem on the <laughs> yeah, list of yeah. problems that this movie presented. That was pretty low down the list. Yeah, but it certainly I can take that Do one. Do you have off. a clearer vision of the family tree now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's much better. The ages make way more sense to me now. But more or less, was established as a competition between the dastardly brother from the army and the lovable Joan. Uh, Cusack and Robin Williams who are pretty much playing uh, versions uh, of themselves. You're overplaying Jones involvement in this film too she's very much just a sidekick to Leslie which is Robin it's revealed spoiler alert it's revealed she's a robot yeah she's basically a fembot (laughs) which they reveal in the dying seconds of the movie and quite needlessly (laughs) they fire they fire a missile at her and her head explodes off her body and everyone's like oh no and then her head keeps talking and Robin Williams is like yeah my sister's a robot my dad made me a robot so I wouldn't get lonely when I was a Good. so fucked up man that's so crazy so so basically the whole movie revolves around a plot whereby the general who comes in uh, he goes do you know what I will assume power over this factory but his actual motive is to develop military weapons um, very prescient in many ways this movie oh, there's moments of real crystallized Almost like fortune telling to the modern like, age. To the detail and almost one hundred percent accurate uh representation of VR. Yeah. Like I mean that shit was kicking around back in the in the nineties yeah. as well. It's just we weren't like we kinda knew what we wanted, but we didn't have the tech to enable it like we do now. But, but they even had, to the to the actual headset you're and the, right. the way it all worked. Yeah. The operating system, that was very impressive. And then uh the it, basi- spi- it basically was foretelling drone warfare. Mm. Uh, so the general enlists. This is where it gets super fucking dark. He starts shipping in all of these kids into the toy factory and he. It, oh there's lemon in that water. You weren't and, expecting and that, eh? I was expecting a cold drink of water and yeah. what I got and said was uh, like hot lemon water. Yeah, yeah. It it's, was, it's all I drink now. No, it's still nice. It's, it's just good. different from what my mouth was ready for. Uh so the flask was a bit warm, so that should have been a hit. So I drink from a flask now, ladies and gentlemen, and sometimes <laughs> Guy joins me in that. Um So the general <laughs> Never again after that the general is developing stat. He his whole thing is he's like the Vietnam War is over and this is a terrible tragedy because they're downscaling the army and the whole military. Yeah. And what they need is more cost efficient solutions. So what he comes up with the idea of are um less or oh, sorry, he visit- cheaper but m- multiplicities of weapons, so it's basically drones. He, uh, this all occurs to him after he takes a trip to the video arcade, mm. and he sees that all these young children are playing war games on like the the video machines. That's right. And he's like, "Oh my god, these kids! Their hand-eye coordination's better than that of a pilot." Yeah, yeah. which is actually like um, I think maybe kind of true. Yeah, well, you were saying while we were watching that... Yeah, the US Army developed the uh, drones that they use now around the um, micro the Xbox controller because they knew that recruits coming in would be familiar with that way of controlling. So they just went, cool, if that's the entry point, we'll build the control system around that. So, like, it's very... There's, there's a couple of moments that kind of blast through the, the fog of the film where you're like fucking hell yeah this is it's this pretty is on the nose dark and foreboding and but accurate. that's the crazy thing is it takes so long like this the start of it, it is the sort of family friendly fun toys you know like all these kooky contraptions and eventually rob williams you know spouting lyrical sort of about it all mr Magooing his way there's through. no purpose to it but for the first half an hour that's essentially what you're settling in for you can see this like uh you know the uh antagonist sort of lurking but that's but what he's you get. more of a silly character yeah. at the start as well, but almost then, like a Basil Fawlty kind of guy. It's two goal. hours long. Within sort of forty-five minutes an hour, if you've st- if you've managed to pay attention for that long, it does take on this incredible <laughs> tonal shit. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just making these big sweeping comments about the military-industrial complex in America, it's like. Fucking who's this movie for, you guys? Yeah. Who is this for? Except for like avant-garde directors. This movie was made for an audience of about 14 people globally. It was... I mean, you've got to admire its ambition. A movie like this that that misses the mark would not... You know, this wouldn't get through... This wouldn't be made anymore, I don't think. It couldn't come out. They would get to the point where the whole thing was made, the whole budget was spent, and it would get to someone back at the studio to do a final look at the the cut that gets through, and they'd be like, we have to bin this entire thing. This... this will bankrupt the studio by reputational damage. This thing is a nightmare. And it does have by virtue of a lot of the camera work, it's got these weird Dutch angles and close ups on people's faces where it's not needed. Creating this whole like nightmarish tone to it. It's so strange. Well, all of and within all of the the houses or all- if you can call them houses, where, the people, where all the action takes place, all the buildings in the movie, they've all got rooms within rooms. They're all like these giant rooms, yeah. and then they've built a small-scale version of the room. Well, let's let's get into some of the set pieces. So, first of all, okay, I think someone's dwelling, and I think this is the house that is shared by Robin Williams' character and uh, Joan Cusack. Is her name Joan? Joan. That's the actress um so they they brother and sister they share a house which looks like a doll's house and when it's um visible from the street it just looks like a gray box and then almost a drawbridge style wall falls down from the street and it reveals itself to be like a a toy doll house but life size house size so it comes down and it's suddenly a house and then we're suddenly in the interior they're mucking around in the living room and there's also, yeah, as you say, there is a house that perfectly mirrors that house that we're also looking at. The it's, whole so, thing's... it's so much trouble to go to for no immediately visible benefit. Like, it's very it's interesting. Art. And it's, it is art. It's like, in that respect, it's really cool. But, I, man, I just wish I knew... I, to have seen the movie at the time, I wish I knew what the hype around it was. Because I just... I don't know what I was expecting, but nothing could have prepared me. No, no, nah, fuck! What a ride! There's a um scene which I think is very reminiscent of Willy Wonka, um where th- th- there's a couple of different scenes where they're testing toys. Nancy Cartwright, who voices um, Bart and Lisa Simpson, is in this movie as a toy she doesn't tester. do Lisa. Oh, doesn't she? I don't she think Bart. No, I think she you're does right. Bart actually, Bart and a whole host of others, Ralph, Martin, amongst them. More? Chief Wiggum? No, Chief Wiggum is Hank Azaria, I Ah, believe. Um, So at any rate, uh, she's one of these toy testers and they're kind of all in white lab coats and they have a couple scenes where they're either looking at footage of toys being tested out in the wild uh, or or they're doing the toy testing themselves. So in one scene, they're comparing about uh, a, a grid three by three of different fake pukes different vomits, different consistencies and colors, and they're taking notes, and the scene goes off for quite a while. And it, it, Tetris style, the walls are coming in, but kind of block by block, and they're, they're drawing in closer and closer to the middle, reducing the size of the room piece yeah. by piece. This is within the context of a part of the movie where the evil general is taking over an increasing amount of real estate in the factory, but no one knows what he's up to. He just keeps asking for more Area to develop the toys in, so the room keeps getting compacted to the point where it's like terrifying. It's, it's, it's like in Star the- Wars where they're getting squished by the things. It gets down to the size of the table that all of the people start standing on around the fake vomit. And they're, they're kinda, they kind of they just roll one fake, with it. There's one, yeah, they don't <laughs> really get too uh, phased. And also there was one fake as a gag. There was one accidentally they had a poo, like a novelty poo sample, they had a diarrhea the one, yeah. yeah. Is very funny, and Robin Williams says, Oh, we got to get this one down to Peyton, and Pooh and Piss, <laughs> yeah. And then another funny joke from the movie was, um, that uh, Robin Williams sees at one point from the third story of the building, he sees a bunch of children walking into the testing facility who were, who were going to get trained who were going in to get how to trained do the drone drones, warfare, yeah, and uh. He reports this to his dastardly uncle, who's in charge of the whole operation. He goes, I saw children walking into the building. And the guy's like, yeah, you're on the third floor. That means that your perspective's different. They look small, but they're actually normal size. And that conversation plays out for 45 seconds. Yeah, it's long. It's kind of, I don't know if it's a crucial plot point, but it just seems such, it's such like a... We're going to spoil the whole movie, by the way, to get into this. I don't think anyone's going to watch it. There's another huge... I kind of almost recommend watching this film, but it is way too long. The guy is shaking his head. He's taking a sip of water, but man, does he disagree. No, I don't think you need to. So there's another huge set piece which goes on for so long. And this is the climax of the film. This is like the big thing just before we end of a battlefield of all of the weaponized toys that the general has been developing in his side of the factory, and then Robin Williams and his gang of goodies devise a a plan to... um, Oh, man, we are going to talk about the MTV thing as well. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They devise a plan to get all of the basically wind-up toys and use them as diversions because they will lure out the military toys because their senses are attracted to uh, movement and sound and i mean it's huge it's long um you're just watching toys blow up Rob, other toys yeah for like robin williams minutes. delivers an impassioned speech to the wind up toys full of like it, wordplay and gags it draws on two. so many historical speeches he sats off and i thought this was brilliant four stores and many christmases ago Invoking Abe Lincoln, which is just brilliant, and it yeah. he, he like he's he misquoting Mahatma Gandhi, and it's, it's fucking great. It's yeah. actually a really good bit. It was a classic. We'll just let Robin do his thing, sort of bit of direction. Was a, it was definitely written by Robin Williams. That bit it was genius. Uh, and it was. A, can I say as well? This is a very bad movie. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm lusting no, after no. scenes in the in the aftermath. It? It, it almost really it almost defies film. description. Uh, But that set piece does last for about eight to 10 minutes. And like, there's only so many ways you can show this action happening. And it just goes on. And this is sort of the royal rumble of the movie.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: It just smacked me of one of those situations where it was like, do you know what, guys? We just paid so much fucking money to orchestrate the scene that we, we have to put a lot of a lot of duration in the film of this. But then there's those other technology they used this is 1992. They had a whole scene, uh, needlessly, where they rendered four people having a conversation around a table as x-rays. Yeah. And then within 3D that, model yeah, x-rays. And then within that, they decided also to no avail or payoff, that one of the four people would have scissors inside them that had yeah. been left there from a surgery. That's right. They went to the trouble of mentioning it and then there was nothing more to it. Two major things happened in that scene. Number one, P.S. Jamie Foxx is in this movie <laughs> as a security guard. He's watching the uh, three-dimensional skeletal scans, which are, are presented as X-rays in the world of the film. So he's watching these this X-ray. Um, they're kind of like bugging the room. Uh, they're listening in. And they've got, you know, cameras, obviously. So they're watching this X-ray. And uh, so the first plot point that's revealed is there are scissors inside this guy from a, heart, a recent heart surgery. And this is the dastardly general meeting with military men. Who he keeps calling the Washington boys because he's trying to sell he's trying to sell these these new um, like military toys to the army to, to you know start his fortune and uh, and and so he's this is his big meeting to convince them so first of all a lot of attention is paid to the scissors in the guy's chest cavity left him by a surgeon also, also can we just say prior to that the meeting takes place. In the middle of a field, in the middle of a Windows ninety five background, at a table, <laughs> and they all are just stripped down to like their under t- their undershirts, underpants, and like boots, and then they assemble a room around them for the meeting to take place in, and then the meeting unfolds as you were describing. But it's just there's all of this detail. It's like where was this supposed to <laughs> go? Like what got cut out? How much this was originally a ten hour movie that but, was an no, intricate. I think Odyssey. there was a decision that they made like everything would be it would be heightened to the point of you know like but it's like they said a whole bunch of so the other thing that happens in that in that scene is the dastardly general guy murders in hot blood one of the, the military boys. The guy with the scissors in the his guy body. <laughs> the scissors and in not him. even because of the scissors. The scissors <laughs> remain a mystery. <laughs> he kills him. And so you think, ah, this is this is what will happen in the end. The, um, the military police will catch up with him or something and charge him for his crimes. No, no. Not what happens at all. No consequences or remorse or anything from anyone around him being like, hey, it was pretty fun when you killed that military guy, that Washington boy. Here's another weird plot point they put in. LL Cool J is the son of the dastardly general. LL Cool J has a fiance who is a nurse. The nurse is nursing back to health the dastardly general, LL Cool J's father, at a various point in the plot line of this universe. And it is revealed that she has had sex with LL Cool J's father. That is revealed to, about this. To, to help ail his depression. That's right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is discovered about. 70% the way through the film and is not returned to or really it is a turning point for LL Cool J's character because he's sort of uh, a tough guy who follows orders because he respects his father because he's I also from the military right. and then it, it turns out that he's always thought his mother died of appendicitis but it turns out that she was stationed in a dangerous position by his dad and then he finds out that his dad's also uh, you know doinked his fiance and obviously his fiance has doinked him her, her, her back uh, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not going to stand for this anymore." And he goes and joins Robin Williams and and Robin Wright. And that's a good point, actually. He does join them, but at no point is there sort of a conflict where that's addressed between no, he the never two sees, guys. He never says to his dad, "Hey, I know you fucked my fiance." Well, and that's a classic like story moment, right? The son finally growing the Kahuna's to to go up against his his old man. Yeah, that's the, they, they set it up perfectly, they, and that payoff never happens. Yeah, you know what they say to him they say, "Actions speak louder than words." But the pen is mightier than the sword, <laughs> so they—they they really don't know what they're talking about. They're full of contradictions. What a, I mean, fuck, just the whole thing from where to go is uh, Wait, weirdly it? weirdly feels very slowly paced, considering how much plot there is and how much character backstory we've got to get through and stuff. Robin Wright, I've got to say, though, is is just magnetic on screen. Oh, yeah. She's got a real southern bell-type accent. And such a just magnetic smile, just a really attractive, beautiful smile, just beaming off of the screen. Yeah. There's something about Robin Wright that, where she's got... She's got... She doesn't, she doesn't give it all away. There's something very, like, guarded about her beauty. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. She lets you come to her, you know? Yeah, man, whatever. No, no, a lot <laughs> of the actresses that you see on screen are very, like, they'll kind of project it all out. But Robin Wright, and this is the same with modern-day Robin Wright in House of Cards, she she, she seems to kind of hold it back. Is it possible that the only two acting performances you've seen from Robin Wright have been for a character who withholds an element of her personality from people it's, in the movie? I guess it's possible, but I've seen interviews like her as herself and interview, talk show interviews and stuff. And it's the same. That's just her. It's how she exists. It's weird. Maybe maybe she uh doesn't like the interviews she's doing. Quite possible. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. You know. She Anything's is, possible. Uh, I'll tell you what though, Tim. Magnetic. Magnetic is how I would describe <laughs> her. I've said it twice. Let me make it thrice. A- absolutely. Uh and her, yeah, her she's just in there, I guess. So that they have a romantic interest. Yeah, she's a reasonably now. Am I using? Am I pronouncing the word correctly? Oscillary, oscillary, auxiliary. No, not auxiliary. A s c i l l a s c i oscillary, ancillary, ancillary. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Ancillary, ancillary character. Attack on. Yeah, it's kind of all feel tacked on. Yeah, I guess Robin Williams is the protagonist But it almost feels like he's not Definitely essential No the real driver of action is the dastardly general He's the one who's getting this movie done That's a good point From start to finish uh, I'll ask you this, Tim. Please. Uh in keeping with uh something we do in the in the worst idea of all time, what part of the movie was your shining light? Oh at what point were you enjoying yourself the most? Do you know, unfortunately we've already mentioned it, but it was probably Robin Williams' speech that he gives to the good I Oh, toys. that really got you. Uh, yeah, I thought that was that was excellent. Yeah. I really did like that. Um Do you know in the top and tail, those the Christmas yeah scenes the christmas song where it's got all the kids and stuff i thought that was legitimately magical because it was doing that thing which they don't seem to do a lot in films anymore Or maybe i'm just not seeing kids films these days which is probably as it should be of using like kind of three and four year olds on screen because they can't really act so you're actually just seeing a kid being a kid and it's kind of wonderful but they've got to create a situation where they're happy so you're just seeing this like legitimately happy kid captured by video camera which is kind of nice. I think I speak on behalf of all three and four-year-old actors when I say, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> we're acting our pants off out there. That was an incredibly long <laughs> shoot, day. What you saw <laughs> yeah. was take 47. Because yeah. uh, Robin Wright kept flubbing your lines. Yeah, it's called being a professional. Um, before I reveal my shining light, can I ask, did you think that they were the same set pieces or were they uh, different set pieces a year apart? Fuck Such a good question dude My dude The best (laughs) question yet We top and tail with this So either That it must be It must be a full year apart Because I was gonna say If (laughs) There's two options (laughs) Number one They're a year apart And so the movie starts at Christmas one year And then ends at Christmas the following year Um, The alternative is that the Christmas songs kind of have no relevance. They're just a casing to put the movie in. But that's broken by the fact that Robin Williams, when he has all of the feathers in his hair after the um, toy-on-toy battle at the end, he then shakes his head kind of in a dandruffy fashion where all the feathers fall down onto his sister's severed robotic head and says, look, it's... What's her name? I can't remember. Joan. Not Alsatia. That. Al. Look, Al. It's Christmas. So he buys into the fact that it's Christmas yeah. at the end. So I reckon it's a year. So what happens is after that, after the big robot uh, toy warfare scene, they rebuild the factory as it was, and they do it all the time for Christmas. <laughs> the general, by the way, Oh, fuck. Sorry, we will get to your shining light. But we forgot a big thing, which is inextricably there's like a GMO slash robotic... Crocodile That's been created So like There's just this I don't think it's ever referred to What the creature is But we know it's amphibious It's called called like water swine Or sea swine Water water swine Or something And it lives in a well Which is in the middle of the factory Which Robin Williams falls into at one point While they're doing a chase scene And the general's very keen to test it out Fucking There's a lot going on And that that, um, crocodile thing ends up malfunctioning at the end because it's at least part michelle i still don't know if it's cyborg or or robot um but it ends up malfunctioning and well you think it's killed the general but then right at the right at the end you see him in a hospital bed waving to the camera just to let you know he's alive which felt like a weird choice yeah like there's so much darkness in the film already it's like you know what this guy tried to basically create a child army (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like fucking Coney. No, we don't want to lose all of our, our, you know, the people who are into that at the end of the movie by killing him off. We don't we don't want to lose that lucrative child uh, soldier market. So we'll we'll make him live. But yeah, anyway, sorry. So you're no, shining no. light. Uh, well, my shining light is, and I think when I say it, you'll immediately, uh, gleefully remember this moment in the film, is uh, it's part of the, You know, the difficulty for Robin Williams and Joan Cusack is they can't, they don't, because it's all restricted areas where he's doing all of this child warfare stuff, they can't see in. So eventually they have to try and break into the restricted area so they can get a first hand glimpse at what exactly their dastardly uncle is up to. And to do this, they. Create the, it's the most intricate scheme i've ever seen they cre- oh <laughs> create like a false wall with doors that forces perspectives they push it because security guards are watching everything on camera so they push this door down to the end of a hallway so that they've actually blocked Vision off of the entire hallway from so, the security guards. If you, sorry to interject, but if you can imagine, the hallway is perfectly symmetrical and quite simplistic. So they've made this wall to basically look like the end of the hallway and, they just, and it gets increasingly yeah, yeah, yeah. close and they hide behind it as it exactly. goes towards the So you, and example. you'd think that'd be it. That would be enough <laughs> because then they'd be like, oh, there's no activities taking place in that room where as rain." But instead, they then somehow project onto the wall that they've pushed down the hall like a whole... It's like a green screen in essence with this pre-edited music video which they actually have to perform and sing it and they step through. It's like a three-minute Talking Heads seaside. Which is not a bad track no, no, either. It's pretty it's pretty all right. Uh, and so there's the scene of them doing this whole music video while the security guards lean in interested in what they're watching and also needlessly as part of it, the Uncle Alfred figure has... T- taped an MTV placard over one of the videos or over one of the panels inside of the security unit so they think they're watching MTV. That's right. For so wait, reason. who puts that plaque on? The the old guy who's... who's Owens. Another ans- yeah, Owens. Owens. So, Another like, ancillary character. If you imagine a bank of security cams like they used to have back in the day and under each one's a, pl- a plaque saying like what room you're watching and so they just stick an MTV logo on top of one of those things while the guards aren't looking. And uh, and the guards I just think they're this watching was at the time. MTV. This was at the height of MTV's powers. It must early have been. Yeah. they were th- throwing money around. Yeah, yeah. The product placements. Uh, there's also, sorry, just while we're on product placement, this weird bit in the movie where the, the general's at the arcade getting the idea, seeing all these kids playing the war games. He plays an arcade game himself, which is a tank warfare game where he gets very into shooting UN tanks, which is not the point of the <laughs> he game. He keeps <laughs> shooting UN tanks saying, UN, they're always there when you don't need them. Yeah, they're <laughs> in the wrong place getting in the way. And um, it comes up with his score oh no fuck maybe it's later actually but there's this, a scoreboard that comes up saying how many oh no sorry it's it's one of the kids who's playing the army yeah. game says how many cars they've destroyed and it's got like BMW's 10 uh Toyota you know, Range Rover's 8 yeah Toyota's 6 and then Volvo 0 <laughs> because Volvo is the safest car on the market god bless those Swedes I can't I can't help but think they paid for that. Uh, but my... Um, so anyway, the MTV music. Yeah, thing, yeah. That whole, the whole construct around that scene, whatever necessitated it existing, uh, the commitment, the execution, it is a full song. <laughs> like, presumably written by Hans Zimmer, you know, um, with David Byrne, I don't know, overlooking yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Depeche Mode with supervising. <laughs> yeah. There's... um. The, the, the original soundtrack elements of this film, particularly in the first half, are nightmarish. There is a Soviet-era-style worker's anthem which plays... Uh, which kind of has this coda later in the movie, but is way darker. So at the start, it's like, we're happy workers, 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 workers working in a factory kind of thing. It's not the tune, but you know. That's the gist of the song. Can you imagine working in a factory where they play you music, telling you how happy you are? (laughs) The thing is as well, is you would think that that's like in a movie, you go, okay, that's the song because that's the tone they want to project. But Robin Williams shuts the door and the song's still playing, but quieter, which proves to you that on the factory floor, this song is actually playing for the workers. And they're sort of involved in singing along. And then later, when the military man comes in and changes things around the factory and makes it far more regimented, the song comes back like in a musical but with the darker, more military yeah. tone to it. It would be called mili- happy, happy Workers Military Reprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's kind of a synth yeah. electronic uh, component to it where the <laughs> Happy Workers bit's been loaded onto yeah. a keyboard and it just keeps and going, ha, ha, Hans Zimmer ha, happy, happy, happy the, workers ha, the music ha, happy. by pouring cocaine all over his keyboard and just snorting it off the keyboard and keeping whatever notes he played with his nose. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is out of this fucking world. Oh fuck! What a movie! What an experience! What a time to spend with Robin Williams! Did you enjoy it? Uh do you know? Yeah, well, there was a moment like where it genuinely broke through for me. Yeah, because I looked at you and I was. What did I say? I was like, I, I. I think I said something like, I just can't understand or watch the movie. <laughs> you just went, I'm in. <laughs> like, I'm there. I was really in the pocket during that period. Uh, it was just after they'd revealed the sort of more sinister plot of the movie. and uh, They just keep throwing things. They just keep throwing things. But it was, I was just sort of like, I don't know. You know, it just there was a window where I was really absentmindedly engaged with what was happening in hey, front of me. Good on you. That's a good thing. Yeah, I mean it's feel good about it. It. <laughs> it shouldn't be an achievement for a movie to engage its audience I briefly. Think. But uh yeah, I mean I wouldn't I I mean as as you listening at home will have observed, we didn't watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't watch it again. I couldn't. I honestly couldn't. Yeah. You know You did keep keep saying that you were shook. Yeah. <laughs> it shook me, man. It really put me in a tailspin. Very strange, unsettling feeling watching that movie. Weird sexual elements, too. Not heaps of them, but yeah, they put them in. Yeah, it's very childlike there. and playful. And, like, the relationship between Robin Wright and Robin Williams, who are the only sort of uh, romantic interests in the film of any meaning, uh, they've got a very sort of innocent, playful sort of uh, l- uh, relationship built on language and, like, their communication with each other. And then one night after he survives the sea swine, he goes around there and he's just like. Uh, can I stay the night and she immediately takes off her top yeah. and then her bra within yeah. seconds you know oh. which we see yeah. we see we don't see her like front on or anything but we see her remove ja- her top and yeah. bra instantly and Jamie uh, that room is also bugged by Jamie Fox and has some sort of sort of spanish sidekick and they're like oh this is the good stuff and then she throws her bra over the robot, which is filming it. And they're like, oh no. And then and they're just listening. It's, this is just so, listening to them yeah, yeah, And Jamie Foxx is getting real into it. It's so slapstick though. And the, the little robot with the camera is uh, gets caught in the bra and it's try, they're trying to drive it out of the bra and the bra winds up with one of its hooks underneath the chair leg. So the strain between the robot going one way and the chair holding the bra in place creates such a force that it flings the robot through a window like a ball or a brick flying through a window and lands it on the street Robin Wright and Williams could not care less during the throes of passion and then it gets run over by a car (laughs) did you just say Robin Wright and Williams that's such efficient (laughs) use of language Robin's Wright and Williams (laughs) continue coitus unabated (laughs) exactly by defenestrated robots Uh, And but then it gets run over and there's no real consequence it's just that whole thing was just for a gag yeah and it's so much trouble. It's like such a constructed set piece Because gag. that's absolutely something that you would expect to be in the movie so they can see the robot and discover the plot that they've been bugged. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. Yeah. The whole thing is a lot of setups and not a lot of payoffs. But then a lot of payoffs that don't have setups <laughs> are the different payoffs. It's like if you watched a busket and they were juggling and they threw you know, six balls in the air and you're like, that's a lot of balls to juggle. And then they came down, they caught six balls and you're like, they did it, but they held them up and they were all completely different balls (laughs) from the ones they threw in the air. Yeah. And you'd be like, how and why? Why? it'd It'd actually be more like if a juggler threw six balls in the air, you waited for them to come down. They never, ever did. And you were like, what the fuck? And then he started breathing fire, but you never saw him take a swig of gasoline or anything. You're just like, these are two different tricks and I don't understand. And you'd be like, technically I admire the ambition and respect what you are doing, but I cannot make heads nor tails of it. I can't follow this performance at (laughs) all. There's no story. You need a director. And he goes, what? Well, I'm good friends with uh, Academy Award winning director Barry Levinson. I get him to direct it and I go, in my experience, that's not such a good idea. Man these yeah i've got it because i know that how did this get made did this movie and i can't remember if i listened to the episode or not but i've got a weird feeling in the back of my head that there's another movie i don't know if this is fanfic or real kayfabe as they say in wrestling that there is another movie that supposedly is in this universe in the toys universe because you, you know, mean on Earth, where you said the movie is no, set? No, 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 But you can still have movies on Earth that are part of a franchise, right? Yeah. But like, um, uh, oh, what is it? Twins, the Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito movie, is the sequel to Toys Junior. No, wait, other way around. Junior is the sequel to Twins. Yeah. Well, one of them is a sequel to the other I haven't other seen one. either of the movies. So Junior, so, Junior is a movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger becomes pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a doctor. He's like a scientist. How did we never let that enter the mythos of Paddy Schwartz? Oh, yeah. Good point. Well, you haven't seen it. So, there's yeah, one it's reason. Big part of it. Um, but, th- th- yeah. So, th- those movies are set in the same universe, apparently, somehow. Like there's tie-ins in the those, film where Those two it. movies are Yeah 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 Not them and toys No not them and toys uh, well, So toys and something else I think is a, Anyway look It's uh, that, it, What a wild ride Yeah Fuck Fucking hell have, I mean have you got anything left to say about this film Tim Yeah I want to say one thumb up Yeah Out of two thumbs Okay uh, Because A movie can still impress me if I don't You know Get it <laughs> Seeing a painting, I don't understand, but appreciate the kind of visuals of... Well, painting's a bad example of this. I, like, it'd be like listening to a poem and going, I don't understand what the fuck any of that was, but I liked the sound of it. That's yeah. this movie. So you think that there are people who watched this movie and nodded the whole way through and went, oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and those people are operating at a higher frequency than you or I. Undoubtedly. Okay. Uh, I will also give this film one thumb up out of two thumbs. Uh, just out of respect for the scope and ambition of it it cost 50 million dollars they didn't make back half of that no you said it made 23 oh do you mean it only, like it lost 27 million yeah fuck it's so hard for movies to lose money when they've got big stars but they did it what if you spent 50 million dollars in 1992 why that's 1 billion dollars now <laughs> I don't know if it's quite that much but man what a film what a film! What an experience! So, thanks for joining us for that, and thanks for bearing with us. And we'll we'll uh, we'll be back with we'll more. Bust another yeah. nut on one of these. So, get voting on the Patreon, and um, hey, get out there and live your lives, everyone, because yeah. you never know when your dastardly uncle might come and take over the factory and threaten your life with an amphibious cyborg. And, uh, That's the moral I took away. From take this it, moment. take it from Tim and I. We're speaking from experience. Uh, you do not want that to happen. <laughs>